Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Now, clearly, essentially, there really has only been one main talking point this week, which is the equine influenza outbreak and the lockdown of British racing, which we dealt with extensively at the beginning of the programme with David Sykes, the director of equine health and welfare at the BHA, and then with Henrietta Knight and with, with Ian Bartlett. But aside from that, this was not a difficult list to fill up because even before that news came through on Wednesday evening into Thursday morning. An awful lot had happened in the sport of horse racing this week. So we felt it important uh, to deal with the other talking points this week. So we will start with Godolphin. Ah, this could have significant ramifications, uh, Patrick. This is uh, Godolphin massively reducing their global marketing spend. What do you make of that? Well, the, the big... I mean, it's not... It's not what we wanted to hear, but we hope it's an isolated development. You know that, that obviously what we we were so grateful to you know the Mactoons for their support over the years. Um, it's brought so much to the industry that uh, we just hope there's nothing significant. I don't think there is. You know, uh, and uh, you know if if they feel that you know marketing, they may well feel that marketing is not something that's actually essential to them. Mm. You know that uh, you know people will use their stallions. Um, you know, if they want to use them. Uh, so uh, hopefully it's just that, it's just a realignment. But this is, is this a cultural shift in the sport, do you think, Susanna, whereby we've relied on the sort of largesse of, uh, of Coolmore and Godolphin and Qatar from time to time, and we shouldn't be relying on sort of excessive... Uh, bouts of generosity. Yeah, I mean, to me, every every business is always reviewing everything in any sector, and yet we get surprised if people do it in racing. I think it's a perfectly rational decision for them to make. I'm sure it swings and roundabouts, and it'll change in the future, but I just see it as a rational business decision that they've got to make sure that well, how they're spending their money wisely. However much money you've got, you still want to do the right thing with it. It's a rational business decision, but it's, it does have significant ramifications for various institutions that have come to rely on that support. Oh, sure, yes, they sponsor uh, quite a few. I mean, the, the biggest one they said that they're not going to continue their sponsorship is the Irish Oaks. Mm. So that would give the, the Curragh uh, somewhat of a problem. Yorkshire Oaks the same, Yorkshire very Oaks valuable. As well, yes. But uh, as Susanna says, they are a big organisation, um, and big organisations tend to... Um, overspend is not the right word, but they, they add things on, add things on, add things on, and then at some stage you have to say, whoa, let's have a look what we're doing here, and are we doing this for the right reason? Every big, I mean, they are, in a sense, a, a big company needs to do that. So it is something that was bound to happen at some stage. Who knows whether it will continue, what they'll do, what decisions they'll make. Good often, who've had a global review of their marketing spend. Uh, this week. SDS is Sylvester D'Souza, the reigning champion jockey, though he may not be uh, this time next year if what he said this week in print is anything to go by. says he might not go hell for leather for the championship and he's extending his stay in Hong Kong off the back of the EI outbreak. Uh, Patrick is a punter. Sylvester D'Souza, friend or foe to you? Oh, definitely friend. You know, he's, he's, he's been a, you know, a huge achiever over the years and you know, he's perhaps certain types of horses he's more suited to than others, but you know, he's you know, his achievements have been tremendous over the years. Yeah. I mean, do we need to? Oh, we go back over this again. Do we need to reappraise the way this jockeys' championship is framed anyway again? Um, or are you happy well, with the please, way it is? Can we just not go there? On <laughs> had enough of that. I think in racing for a week. I think I think if he wants to do that and it gives someone else a chance to step up and have a have a go at being champion jockey, then great. He's been there, done that. So. Happy to him to make those choices. He evidently enjoys it on Hong Kong, where his skills are only going to be honed against a, a tremendous group of riders. Yes, uh, he had a very good time there this year. I think, I think not certainly he's uh, definitely had his stay extended for a month, but he wants to do so, mm. and the likelihood is he's doing so well that the um, Hong Kong Jockey Club would 
uh, extended, which means that he was due back very soon, but yeah. probably won't come back until the Lincoln at Doncaster. Is O'Sheen Murphy the most obvious successor to, to be champion jockey, particularly given what he's done in Japan? Latterly. Yeah, I think it's also an, an age thing, you know, the sort of cycle. As you talk about how you do the championship, the way it is at the moment, it's a, it's a cycle thing that until you've had it, you want it more than the people that have. Um, so that seems very possible. And very briefly, to what extent do jockeys play a big part in your calculations when you're betting? Oh, yes, a lot. You know, it, it is, um, yeah, and, and trying to be specific, you know, that perhaps you learn particular people's strengths and work around that. Would there be a jockey that you would, if, if he was on a horse you, or she was on a horse, you would just say, no, not backing it? I suppose not at any price, um, but um, there would be there'd be certainly ones I'm a lot less likely to. Okay, uh, that's Sylvester D'Souza, who uh, is bidding or trying to extend his stay in Hong Kong. What about the ground? Uh, Leopardstown, a lot of withdrawals in the Irish Girl Cup. It was a wonderful weekend, the Dublin Racing Festival. But this was a, a talking point, uh, Susanna, and it was difficult, really difficult for Leopardstown because they had freezing temperatures, which meant it was very difficult for them to water. They weren't forecast the rain. They, they were forecast rain they didn't yeah. get. And in the end, yeah, Michael O'Leary and others said, listen, they should have just bunged a load of water on it. I mean, having spent four years at Ark and, and working mm. with the, the teams that run the race courses, everyone is absolutely doing their best. I mean, most clerks probably look at six or seven different weather forecasts, but of course everyone then becomes an expert in weather, having looked at one or with the value of hindsight. The team at Leopardstown will have done their absolute best, and sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. And it's the nature of racing, and it's the thing that makes it exciting, that you never quite know what you're going to get. And unfortunately, in that, that case, you know, it was difficult ground for some horses, and you've got the withdrawals, but that is the nature of racing, unless we want to go all weather all the time, which most people don't. So Patrick wouldn't mind going all weather all the time at this time of year, would you? I mean, that would be that would suit you quite well. I've been very encouraged by the talk on this programme about Altior going for the King George. The mile and a half would be too sharp for him. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if he could if he could maybe turn into a cup... Imagine if he snatched third in a Goodwood Cup or something like that. That would be tremendous. <laughs> and if you had a really good greyhound, um, you know, you wouldn't confine him to Crufts running through tunnels and jumping over gates and that sort of thing. You'd take him greyhound racing. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to one day at Cheltenham, I'm going to be lynched now. Well, I think that's the least of your worries, to be honest with you. Uh, Barty, who'd be a clerk of the course, frankly? Yeah, I think Lorcombe's an impossible position. You've got uh, middle of winter, freezing temperatures, suddenly you don't get the rain. Could you have watered when it was when your forecast had minus five, minus problem. six? No, no, I don't think so. It's just one of those things, I think. I, don't, I do not see that there was a, a, a rational, logical, possible way around this. So... You've got a small field for the Irish Gold Cup. A shame. Yeah. Life goes on. A Saturday morning at uh, Leopardstown. It was very, very cold and was still pretty crispy in the, in the paddock. So I think it would have been very difficult to water. Now going into this. Uh, there's a few changes to the pattern race programme, which I've got to confess have passed me by, Mr Bartlett. OK, right. So the French have got the Prix de Royalia uh, up to Group 1 from Group 2. Mile and six furlongs yes. now, up from the mile four and a half furlongs. Uh, Saturday of the ARC meeting. Yeah. Uh, they've continued... Uh, well. Probably the French have continued to put the block on the Champions uh, Day stairs race being made of Group 1. Because, because of the Prix de Cadre. And the Pre-Royal Oak right. uh, as well. I suspect they probably will do a deal over that at some stage. What they want, who knows. And the Prix Jean Prat, which you'll know is a mile, three-year-olds mm -hmm. uh, in 
It's now uh, Deauville. No, they moved to Deauville now. Um, uh, they're dropping the distance to 1,400 metres from 1,600 metres. Also over here... Ah, 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 so hang on a minute. That becomes one of two... Still Group 1? Yeah. So that becomes one of only two seven furlong Group 1 races in Europe, the other one also being in France. Yes, all eight, that is. Yeah, yeah, but France now have the only two seven furlong Group 1 races in Europe. They do. And yet, Doncaster and Goodwood, Park Stakes and, and Lennox Stakes, have been banging on for years about how they want to upgrade. Hold on, though, because York's got their... Is it called the City of York Stakes? Yeah. Up yeah. to Group 2 as well. So in the UK, we have three all-aged seven furlong Group 2 races, and they're all within 24 days of each other at, uh, in August. That's crazy. It's not an ideal situation. I'm sure it can be worked around at some stage. But it reduces their chance of any of them being upgraded to a Group 1, which, of course, is what they all want, surely, particularly with France having the two seven-villain Group 1s. Indeed. Right, well, I'm glad you brought me up to speed on that. I was, I was way behind. Anything to add? I suppose just that, that you know, the French didn't have a great year last year, and so, you know, does there come a point of they'll be hoping for better, hoping they'll, they, they, they get, mm. you know, taken by less of our, you know, travelling runners. And, of course, uh, the, the, this was the week where Italy lost its final, its final Group 1, the sad demise yes. of a once-great racing nation. Yes. And, uh, happily, they managed to hold on to it just in time for Luca Kumani to win it with his final Group 1 runner, which was uh, at least one crumb of comfort. Now, uh, this is a rather more uh, serious story. It had global ramifications. This is Darren Weir, uh, who was um, arrested and charged with all manner of things. But uh, essentially, the big takeaway this week is that the Australian racing authorities have acted very swiftly and have banned him immediately for four years, Ian. Yes. Uh, reading bits and pieces about this, uh, the gentleman concerned has got quite a long uh, record of brushes with the Australian racing authorities. Mm. Um, the uh, main uh, thing that that uh, the the raid that they um, yeah. had uh, discovered was um, well essentially cattle prods. Um, yeah, jiggers, jiggers they're called. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're talking a cruelty issue here uh, and a welfare issue more than anything else as well. But this is a man who um, appears to have rewritten the record books uh, for Australian training and uh, well certainly won't be doing so soon. I mean the other. <laughs> the interesting thing from, from if you were an owner who had a horse there, it suddenly got a lot better. Now you've had to send it somewhere else. Is it any good? And ah, if you yes. had one that was around second to one of his uh, six months ago, were you on a level playing field? It opens a lot of, lot of problems. A swift action from the authorities is always praised in these circumstances, though, Patrick, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think that four years should be a minimum of those things. Anything where those sorts of things or the sort of, you know, doping or, you know, uh, sort of uh, performance enhancing, that sort of thing, there's got to be a very, very big disincentive um, because, you know, the rewards can be massive. Mm. And so, you know, frankly, if you don't have a situation whereby, you know, the punishments are comparable with the rewards, then there's a risk, you know. And, and people yeah. are always trying to get an edge. All Some. the time. Yeah. yeah, and it's appalling because the problem is we all know that these are very isolated cases in racing, but people that aren't so familiar with our sport then might wonder mm -hmm. what else other people are doing. Mm -hmm. So you've just got to stamp on it straight away. It's absolutely unacceptable behaviour. And quite clearly, it's not just in this country where we're under the welfare microscope. No, in Australia, horse racing... You'd have far more, more anti-horse racing protesters outside an Australian race course than you would here. Exactly. It has a global impact, and it's so important that the Australian authorities deal with it really quickly mm -hmm. and firmly. With an eye to welfare, let's conclude this by talking about the um, 
activation, if you like, that's come out of the Cheltenham Review, and one of those activations is the reciting of the second last fence on the old course at Cheltenham. Uh, this has been recited a couple of times. Um, Patrick, I'm not going to come to you because <laughs> you won't have a view on it. Barty, uh, two out on the old course has been moved closer to the last fence. There's a longer run off the bend again. By about 10 yards or so, yes. I mean, th this is, uh, I'm, I'm sure all race courses look at the faller rate at the uh, fences, but certainly Aintree and Cheltenham would be the two that look at them uh, more. Uh, and, well, perhaps because of the nature of the, the, the quality of the racing uh, as well. There may be slightly more fallers there, I don't know. But anyway, they've moved it. Years yep. ago it used to be round the bend. Now it's in the home straight. Uh, now it's moved 10 yards further towards the, the winning place. line. Yep. So you have a longer run uh, off after you come off the bend mm -hmm. to straighten up for it. Uh, as Simon Clay said, there are other courses in the country which have the last two fences closer together even than we do now, so that's not um, um, an issue with it. Uh, the one problem they might have, by the sound of things, is the start of the RSA Novices Chase, which starts between the two of them. So, obviously, you have a, a you're, shorter... You're funneling them into the start. Yeah, however, that's, that, you know, it doesn't take rocket science to sort that out, so it's not a huge problem. And normally speaking, if the horses are fast into the first fence, that's better than having a yawning gap into the first fence where they can build up too much steam before they, before they jump one. Yes. I mean, I, I think actually what his point was just getting him in line more than <laughs> the yeah. speed they'd be going. The so right race. thing to do? I think so, because I think if they're heading up that hill, they should be nice and light on their forehands, which should make it easier for them to jump, because that's why it's so much more difficult to jump if you're heading downhill, because horses get heavier on you. So the logic of it seems to work for me, and of course you just hope it will work in practice. The only thing is, you wish you'd had a meeting to give it a yeah, run Yeah, I mean, poor old Cheltenham having to do all this in the, in the, in the run-up to the festival. I'm sure the team would love to have a few more quiet months to practice with these things, but that's the nature of the calendar that just keeps on rolling. Yeah, I think they're going to be significantly more jittery this time. That, of course, is if we get to the Cheltenham Festival. That's a, another matter altogether. Uh, if we do, and let's hope we do, festival changes. Now, they've rejigged the race order. A fundamental take-out from this is they don't want the Grand Annual to be the last race of the meeting, so that now becomes the Martin Pipe Conditional Jockeys race, and the amateurs get the last race on the Wednesday, whereas they were, or is it the Tuesday? The Tuesday, whereas they were the penultimate race. Yes, well, um, there was a line of thought going about this, that this uh, the, because the Grand Annual has a few problems over yeah. uh, recent years, that may be uh, having the um, yeah. pros in the la last race, but uh, um, because if they were chasing the, for instance, if there were two of them quite close together, uh, chasing the leading rider, but it doesn't make any difference because whether it's the last race or the second last race, because it's the last race the pros can mm. ride in. Uh, I think, uh, f f from uh, what I understand, it's a case of the pros can get away early. And as you know, Nick, I'm sure you support that sort of line. Well, well, I rather liken myself to some of the poor conditional jockeys who have to wait until the very end of the day and then, you know, have to stick on whilst the pros have disappeared and got an early bath. You know, I'm them, and the pros are Ian Bartlett, who you see sprinting. <laughs> <laughs> after race four or whenever it's finished. Come on, it's essential there. The, it is essential. You know it is. Yeah, a man, a man famed for a, for, a, for a speedy getaway. We're, we're putting the... I think it's just professionalising the whole thing. It's putting the pros in the spotlight and saying, well, really, the amateur races and the conditional races don't matter quite as much, which isn't quite the tradition of the event, is it? No, I, 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 see, I can see both sides of it. Um, you know, uh, it's a tricky one. I... I uh, 
maybe whether at the festival, but in general, anything we can do to make the travelling easier for the you know, jockeys and trains, that's the thing. It's horrendous the sort of how many miles they have to do. So, yeah, I'm in favour of making that easier. But no one's going to lose any sleep over this race order, are they? I think everyone just punts like mad. Whatever race any order goes in in Cheltenham, so I think I think the betting public will be happy. Yeah, well, those were the changes that took place uh, to the Cheltenham Festival, as announced earlier in the week. Though I would forgive all of you if you'd forgotten any of those, but we thought it would be uh, worth a reminder that aside from the outbreak of equine influenza, it has been quite an important news week with plenty of talking points. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai.